This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 106 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, Mike and I will be discussing music theory and how it applies to you as a drummer. We'll also be talking about R&B legend James Gadson. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the UA Apollo 8P. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh, man. How is that? Perfect. All right. Here we are. What are we at here? Uh, we're at, uh, I'm going to talk about my dog because she's oh, yeah. laying right next to me. Dig it. So, uh, yeah, heads up. If things go awry or if the UPS guy comes to the door, you're going to hear it because <laughs> she's in full, like, nap right by my feet protection mode right now. So, so she knows he's coming. She just has a sense. She, she knows. Like, he gets kind of up the stairs with some new gear that's showing up today and uh i might i I can't confirm or deny just in case my wife listens to this episode but i might have ordered two neve preamps what yeah i only have two microphones and uh so i went as big as you could go dude shockingly enough those two little things cost more than my drum set thing is i i mean until she sees the bills, I'm like, yeah, whatever, get a couple of mic preamps. Who cares? But right, <laughs> and then when she sees them, that like they're they're like they look like they're from the 70s or 60s. You know, she'll be oh. like, oh, you should get a bunch of those. Making my like, eyes cool. water, man. You could sell uh, two of your kits. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it's uh, yeah. So I I went through all the the preamp <laughs> emulation software, which I think we'll probably talk about in the UAD review. Yep, totally. Um, so I have the Slate preamp stuff um and then i just talked to a few engineers and they said honestly like it's uh it's something that's really important having good preamps and especially since you're only using two mics it is expensive but it's you know you do it you do it once and you're done and the good thing with the neve preamps is i they'll they'll never lose any value if if for some reason i don't hear a difference or if i if it's not a big deal then i can always sell them again um but yeah i I looked at the uh, bae stuff the british audio engineering Mm -hmm. stuff um and then there's maybe one called tricks ah starts with a t but there's there's a few companies out there that do neve reproduction preamps outboard gear but honestly, the price difference just wasn't enough for me to say, oh, well, that one's half the cost. And it says it does. It was like, ah, it's a, it's a few hundred dollars more and I'd get actual Neve 1073 pre's. So, well, all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> so I will let you know. The good thing is I got it. They are brand new and I got it through a reputable company. So if I plug mm-hmm. them in and I don't really hear or feel a difference, then I can always send them back. But yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to hear because I think. I think the magic is when you start experimenting with overriding them, you know, overdriving them and pulling back mm-hmm. the output. That's when you really can hear it. If you're just going for a clean input, I don't know that you'll really right. hear it. But it's when you start yeah. messing with and getting the saturation and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and and since I have, you know, I have the Slate uh, emulation preamps, I, I'm excited to kind of A-B the real thing versus the plug-in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, when I was in uh, Ireland... Ash had asked 
hit a few producers of that he's worked with. Ask them like, hey, do preamps matter? Do really expensive mics matter? You know, is there a difference between a thousand dollar mic and a two hundred dollar mic? And the way it was explained to him was, a preamp will maybe improve your entire process by two percent. Uh, a right, mic yeah. will improve it by three percent. You know, we talked about this maybe last time, but yeah. but when you add all those up, it kind of adds up. So. I have good mics. I want to put them through good pre's, and I just want to see what it's like. So they get here today. So when that happens, my dog will lose her mind. I will too, probably. I'll I'll run straight for the door. So, what's going on in your world, buddy? I don't know what is going on. I mean, it'll be too late to talk about the clinic because it'll be happening as people are listening to the show. But that's kind of is that tonight? That's tomorrow, Friday. Well, it's tonight if you're listening to the show on Friday. (laughs) man i'm so excited for you yeah i mean i kind of mapped it out down to the minute and i which i think is going to save the anxiety but i know i'm gonna have to cut like a half hour out of it which i kind of planned it that way the last half an hour is kind of like a chopsies if i need to get rid of it gone it's it's easy to cut stuff out of a clinic it's hard to just look at that clock and know that you have 30 minutes to go and you're out of material (laughs) yeah i mean the cool part is it's in a really sweet drum shop so worst case scenario like all right we're done everyone go play some of these awesome drums and (laughs) let's just hang out (laughs) exactly who wants to hear me demo that snare (laughs) bam i think that'll be great man i'm really excited for you yeah other than that Uh, what time is the clinic again it's seven o'clock on Friday. So cool, if you're man. listening to this after that, it's it already like happened. The next time, hopefully, it'll be some more. I'm trying to figure out some other options for different places. So we'll see cool. what happens. We'll see how I feel next week about whether this is a medium that I want to continue pursuing or not. I have done Love clinics it. in the past. So it's not like a completely foreign world, but you know, I never really focused on it like this. So we'll see. See nice. what happens. Awesome. Uh, Sounds good. Other than that, I think it was just a. You know, the food poisoning really wrecked me up for a while. Really? It just took me a while to get my bearings back. But physically, I'm feeling, like, strong, and I'm back on focus and getting my diet and all that crap in check again. It's it's, it's funny how quickly that stuff slides. You know, like, all of a sudden, like, I put on six pounds. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? (laughs) Like, what did I do? (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Six six pounds. That's a uh, wow. That was a lot. If you pick, that's a lot. If you pick up a five pound weight, it's like wait, that just got added to my body. That's a lot, man. I thought. I mean, that's what food poisoning is for. It's to to shed that five pounds before your Hollywood premiere. That's what you know? I thought, but no, it didn't. It didn't. Oh man, yeah. In Southern California, that's that's like you get food poisoning on purpose. It's like oh, I got a big event coming up. Yeah. Just, uh, Isn't that pounds, called a colonic? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You can go both ends. Yeah, you can. You know. Good stuff. All right, let's clean it up a little bit. Let's talk about music theory for drummers. So music theory, when you hear the term music theory, do you consider it all-encompassing, or is it pushed to the melodic side and the rhythmic side is left for drummers? That's a good question. I think of it as just all-encompassing understanding music, the foundation and the fundamentals of how music is made and constructed. I think rhythm is as important as melody as important as chords so there's a there's a lot of rhythm theory just within that um but i think maybe in the way it's taught it kind of leans towards harmonic and melodic concepts sure i mean we could probably spend four or five episodes on just rhythm i think Uh, yeah absolutely and i mean it's it becomes painfully obvious when you first start jamming with people that 
those musicians that have all the melody and uh, have all their harmonic theory, they better know their rhythmic theory. Otherwise, you guys aren't going to lock. You're not going <laughs> to yeah. groove. You know, and it becomes even more frustrating when I hear an amazing piano player rhythmically out chop me to the point where I'm like, I don't even know what you're playing rhythmically. (laughs) And this is my job. Like, (laughs) and I wonder, it's like, you couldn't have studied rhythm as much as I did. So is, are you able to play that? Cause you never studied rhythm and you just play these things that are in your head or are you actually subdividing and you know what you're doing? So, um, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. So that's weird. I mean, I think if it's a guitarist, they probably, (laughs) <laughs> this is so judgmental. Probably don't know what they're doing. If they're a keyboard player, they probably do know what they're doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure there's a guitar podcast right now. He's like, how much do you hate when the drummer's like, let's go to B flat. Let's go to A minor. And it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll always be at odds with those guys, but we need them. We need them. So, so as far as your theory, when did that start? Uh, well, I mean, it was day one because I learned how to read music as the day I got my first pair of drumsticks and a practice yeah. pad. So, Me too. Uh, I think the first concept is probably time signature. It's just understanding what the heck a time signature is. Mm-hmm. I still have a hard time explaining it. You have a really good way of explaining it. How do you break down time signatures? Because I just the, I just know it, and I like, of course, right. kid, get it. It's a quarter note. Well, what the hell's a quarter note? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, I, I've I've commonly seen time signatures and rhythmic theory basic rhythmic theory explained starting at a and then skipping to like maybe p in the alphabet yeah. i'm like yeah you missed a few letters in there some, <laughs> so yeah the the easiest breakdown of time signatures is the top number is how high to count and the bottom number is how fast to count yeah how fast to count that is that's yeah. the uh, the missing link that's the one that throws everybody off right because when you first hear somebody if if you're in a jam and and the bass player says oh this song's in seven great i don't know how fast to count to seven do you want me to count seven four one all the way up to seven, right. seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, sixteen, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So I need to I, now that you've told me how high to count, I need to know how fast to count. And that bottom number, it can't be arbitrary. It's either going to be a four, an eight, or a sixteen. So it's referencing quarter notes, eighth notes, or sixteenth notes. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's still kind of arbitrary because you could play a fast seven eight that sounds like seven sixteen, but so that's the the notation, the tricky part, right? Yeah, the tricky part is how are you feeling this, and that usually on a drum term comes down to the distance between your primary kick and your backbeat. Um, that's how I can tell the difference mm. between seven four and seven eight. Um, or or another good one that people get really confused with is three four and six eight since mathematically they're the same yeah but the backbeat is placed in a different spot different so I have a whole yeah. playlist on my uh, iPad for my students and the playlist is called three four or six eight and I'll put on a song I put on you know um, lights by Journey and. And then I'll say, okay, and what I'll do with it is I'll, I'll play a 3-4 groove over Steve Smith's 6-8 so they can feel, I am landing on the 1, but damn, this feels horrible. Mm. And so 6 is felt in pulses of 2. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2. Where 3-4 is divided up into 3 even spaces of 1, 2, 3. So, yes, but, but see, yeah, with, that's where it gets confusing because the subdivisions are the opposite. So... Three four right. is is felt in three, but the subdivisions are two. But six eight is felt in two, but the subdivisions are three. Right. Yeah. That, that can screw with your head. It can, and that's why it has to be something. Why 
when you teach music theory, you have to have musical representations for what you're talking about because oh, yeah. the student will make a quicker connection to that than they will just the math and the explanation. Yeah. And, and, and what we want from our students, at least for me as a teacher, is I eventually do want the math to go out the window. And it's like, I want you to feel. I want you to know what the feel of 6-8 is and the feel of 3-4 is. And I want you to know that 12-8 is 6-8. just takes a guitar player twice as long to get through the progression. <laughs> yeah. You don't play like a 12-8 groove. You play 6-8 twice. And so, yeah. I mean, you know, the, have we lost our audience yet? Like, <laughs> well, the, the 12 8, six, 8 is another fascinating one because it's called a 12-8 blues. And right. why is it called a 12-8 blues? Because the the chords change every four pulses, yep. which then makes it a 12-8 measure. But the drums, could, you can count it as... If you, if, if you played in 6-8, it would be a 24-bar blues instead of a 12-bar blues. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So I think 12-8 is almost exclusively limited to blues, in my mind. Yes, Just totally. based on when the chord chords change but yeah the drumming like if if i told a drummer here play this beat i'm not even going to tell you what the time signature is but it happened to be a 6-8 beat they would be fine in a 12-8 blues because they would eventually i mean it's not like their snare is not going to line up in the right spot it's yeah. just that they'll hear oh i i hear it this chord progression keeps starting over at this little spot here um but that spot does land with their bass drum on the one. So it's like, you're going to be fine. Yeah. But once you start to internalize why it's called 12-8, then you can predict the end of the phrases. You can help the musicians out with proper fill placement. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, – but, but yeah, time signatures, that was something for me that took a long time to understand that the top number is honestly – there's no theory to it whatsoever. Whatever the number is, that's how high you count. Yeah. And, and no questions asked. You don't have to wonder anything. Um, if the top number is 26, you count to 26. But then the bottom number was really how am I, how fast am I counting in accordance to what I'm feeling as the pulse. And like you said, there are definitely songs that I teach students and they go, yeah, 7-4. And I'm like, honestly, unless we talk to the so- songwriter, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how yeah. they're feeling. Yeah, it's 7-4, yeah. 7-8. But yes, it is starting over every seven pulses. We just don't know if it's a fast 7-4 or a slow 7-8. I think it ultimately comes down to how would you notate it, if you would notate it in with yep. eighth notes or with 16th notes. And I think like the reggae one-drop beat is a perfect example of is the bass drum on two and four or is the bass drum on three? So I'm on three. It's 100% right? yeah. based on how you count it and how you would write right. it. It's the same it's, thing. It's either a slow right. 16th note groove or it's a cut time kind of feel eighth note. with eighth notes. Same thing with samba. Is it, you know, yeah, is, doom, yeah. sh- doom, is that one E and a two E and a, or is that one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four? And, and you need to know before the conductor counts you in. Because if they go one, two, three, four, you go, and he's like, "What the hell?" Like, sorry, shockingly Caucasian, haven't left California ever. I would hope your your logic and intuition would kick in, but yeah, I can see. Yeah, exactly. In the counting, I do that. You know, I'd be like, "That can't be right." There we go. Okay, now I get it. Now he feels this in eighth notes. I, I, as I was putting together this this clinic outline, I was going to talk about how I use odd times to kind of develop my my time and pulse and stuff and i realized that i often feel eighth note based odd time signatures as two bar phrases so then really i can overlay a quarter note pulse so i can play in seven eight and actually in my mind i just count seven four yes and then yeah, whatever yeah. i'm playing will always end up after two measures of seven eight yeah so you kind of have this one bar 
that feels great in this one bar that's a little upbeat driven. Yeah, and, but they're but I think they're tied together. Like you have to totally. At least in my mind, it's like I have to have the downbeat measure and then the offbeat measure. They form a two bar phrase, and then I just internalize wow. that. And I don't I don't ever count one two three four five six seven one two three four five right. six seven one two. It's always a right. two bar phrase with a longer pause. Wow, I you know what's cool about that is that extends your phrase to the point that you don't feel like you're stuck in this little seven eight loop you yeah, know and exactly. it's like okay cool now i'm playing drumming it also i think Vinny in um which album has all the seven eight with the quarter note pulse and uh oh that's ten seven, summoners tales ten summoners tales yeah. so um because that's got uh saint augustine in hell um it's got um, yeah there's a couple uh, yeah, the, the other one I can't remember, but yeah, there's like two of them that are in obvious stronger seven. than something. Love uh, is stranger than fiction. Yeah, so so, but yeah, he's got that. <laughs> what I don't know. Jeez. I don't want to look it up. I've had losing that is record. It, in love forever. is stronger than justice. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, so, stranger than fiction is coming out soon. I think that was in my head. That <laughs> no. So yeah, stranger so things that's got that quarter note pulse over it. <laughs> you good, dude? <laughs> oh, bro, we lost Dawson. <laughs> All right. Anyway, this, uh, quarter note pause anyway. seven eight two bars. It works. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and that that album definitely made me see that even odd time signatures can have a quarter note pulse to them, yeah, and have a feel to them that isn't so odd. So then, what about your? Because I know you went further down the rabbit hole with music theory than I did. You know, I mean, I remember being in school band as a kid and hearing about the circle of fifths and i was yeah, like oh boy yeah. here we go there it starts um yeah and then, you know if i wanted to play glock i had to learn all that stuff yeah so do you find that all of that theory that you have the melodic theory and the harmonic theory helps you as a drummer uh i don't it's really hard for me to break it down i think it doesn't hurt in any way okay i think it will never make me worse by knowing more about music theory sure. um I think the written theory was more just an intellectual exercise, but it was the aural theory that was really valuable. So, like, Circle circle of Fists is great if you need to write music and you need to know how many sharps are in the key of D major uh, because you just can see that circle and, you know, it's got two sharps. That means it's F sharp and a C sharp. Like, you just you just kind of memorize the, the progression. So Circle gotcha. of Fists basically is you start on the note C and then you go up five notes and then each time you go up, you add another sharp. So you go from C to G, is one sharp. So the key of G has one sharp. You go from G up to D, it's two sharps. You go D up to A, that's three sharps. And then if you Clearly. go and if you go down a fifth from C, you're adding a flat. So C, Obviously. C down to F gives <laughs> you one flat. F down to B flat gives you two flats. See, that's the intellectual exercise of, of theory. Right. But... Knowing what it what a perfect fist sounds like, what does it sound like when you go from C to G? And memorizing that sound has been incredibly valuable because now I can hear the chord changes better. I can hear the bass line when in, if you're playing a blues and it goes from C to F, I know that's a fourth, so we're at the four chord. I know if it goes, Gotcha. I, so I think the ear training, especially for drummers, is is the most important part. Um, just to be able to kind of relate to what's going on around you so you're not counting measures, you're not counting stuff, you're just hearing right. the progressions, you're internalizing the feel. So, oral theory, incredibly important. Written theory, 
very important, but just because I'm a nerd and I want to know everything about everything I do, like I'm just freaking Yeah, I, I see it. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about how nowadays the drummer has to also be the engineer and the producer as far as you better know how to record yourself and mix yourself right. and record tracks for people. I think also if you're trying to build a drum career for yourself and you maybe aren't around a lot of other musicians, it'd be great to have this music theory because I know that it's a serious limitation for me that I can't write my own music. Mm-hmm. Like I, actually I write it, notate it? Write, yeah, no, like, well, I can't make my own music for me to play to. You know, oh, I, yeah, I would you love don't to know own a MIDI. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I would love to own a MIDI keyboard and be like, you know what? All I need is a simple bass line. Let me make it. Instead, I, I do have to actually call a bass player and be like, hey, can you come by and just literally play three notes? I don't know what three notes go together. <laughs> um, and I can tell him or yeah. her, I need it to be happy. I need it to be sad. I need it to be energetic. Well, I don't know any of those things. So I could see in today's, you know, modern drummer world that. It, it would be a huge plus to say, well, I need to play something on Instagram for my channel and I can't use any music because now it's all you know, protected and I need some royalty-free music and I'm going to just take my little MIDI keyboard and make a track for myself. I think yeah. that would be awesome. You know? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a good point. I think, I think it'd be valuable, valuable for all drummers or non-melodic instrument players to at least understand major key theory. Like, how do you make a major scale and then how do you make triads within that scale? So basically, once you know the key signature, which gives you your major scale, you can essentially play any of those seven notes and it won't sound too bad. <laughs> there's gotcha. there's certain times if you're playing the, the major C major chord and you play an F, that's going to sound pretty funky. But in general, you can play any of the white notes in the key of C <laughs> and you're going to sound okay. Right. But I think where it really gets valuable is then you understand the modes. So... If you can form a triad, which in the key of C, that would be C, E, and G, and you just move that, so it's basically every other note, you just move that around on the white notes, you're going to hit all these different sounding chords. You're going to have three major chords, you're going to have a couple minor chords, you're going to have a diminished chord. So then you start hearing these sounds, and you're like, all right, well, that that D minor chord sounds really moody. Okay, let me write a bass line that just uses the D and the A and the F, and Mm, okay. It's a real moody vibe. And then what happens when I go up to the G major? All of a sudden, it kind of lifts the vibe. So you start learning chord theory, you know, and it's there's yeah. plenty and of resources. emotion to it. Yeah, emotions. Like the B diminished chord is going to be the one that you, like, want to reserve for the most tense kind of like, oh, my God, my teeth are shaking kind of a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You don't want to awesome. just, like, go straight to that and write a yeah. whole song because it, it wants to lead back to the C major. Uh so I think learning basic major key signature modes and chord theory and how it relates to the major key, that's all you need to know, really, so, honestly. as far as giving our listeners a, a resource for this, you sent me a link. So what is this? Um, uh, there's a website that I just kind of found. It's called musictheory.net, and they have a lot of free lessons. Um, okay. So if you if what I was just talking about, you've got the – there's a chapter called Chords, Introduction to Chords, and it gives you – it's it, this is very classical music theory kind of stuff, but you can kind of learn all the you know what what's a triad, what's an inversion, what's a seventh chord, what and then the most important thing is to get it behind a keyboard and actually hear them and learn what the yeah. sounds are. But I mean, there's also a lot of resources if you just look up the most popular chord progressions in pop music. You know, bro, have you seen that uh, that video that uh, yeah yeah oh, they do the. I can't, uh, 
one six four five i think is yeah the, yeah and it's like nine minutes long of every hit ever because <laughs> yeah. they start with like a, a journey song and then it, they just keep going and going oh, yeah yeah uh, well, yeah. cool. Well, I, I hope this opens everybody's uh, mind to the idea. One, you don't have to be a drummer that says, oh, I never learned that stuff. I guess I just never learned it. You, you could just start. Yeah. Uh, you could start There's learning it. There's plenty of resources on it. Yeah. And I think I'm getting to the place in my career, too, where it's just it's time for me to get that in my bag of tricks because I want it for myself, where in the past... I really never wanted to be the drummer that was sitting in a rehearsal and then telling the bass player, why don't you try this chord? Why don't you try this? And oh, yeah. I just kind of felt like I'll, I'll wait till you guys are done talking. And I'll, <laughs> when I hear something I like, I'll smile. Um, but now, as somebody that's making a lot of my own content, it would be nice to be able to write some simple chord progressions for myself to, to create moods and to play along to. So Yeah, I mean, it's um, endless. I think we could, we could return to it forever. But yeah, I mean, bass lines are for me were the most mysterious but at the same time it's the simplest because you don't want to play a lot of notes because it's a bass it's very low if you start playing notes that are like one or two steps away it just gets muddy so you're basically dealing Mm -hmm. with octaves and fifths you know and that's it but you know a couple other notes here and there but it's mysterious I know it is I mean I've been I've been on this you know trying to figure out the theory of music for 20 years and i'm still discovering simple stuff like baseline shouldn't be too complicated <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah uh seinfeld Dang. sent us set us back about 20 years with that just slapping the bass all over the place all right well let's talk about a legendary drummer that is probably as modern as any drummer you could imagine because i i i see his stuff on instagram almost every day uh you know, he, his groove, this is, I'm speaking of James Gadsden, and his groove is the foundation for so many variations, just like Clyde and Jabo's grooves were. Yeah. Everything was kind of built off of that. James Gadsden, when you start playing that halftime 16th note groove, yeah. it's like, it's a Gadsden groove, right? I mean, yeah. it's just like, oh, cool. You're doing a variation of a James Gadsden groove. And. I mean, talk about somebody that put, like, so, such little physical effort into the instrument and got so much out of it. He's one of those, he's a magician. Because you look at him play, you're like, man, he's not hitting the drums at all. But his sound is just so big and, and confident. Yeah. I mean, yeah, No Sunshine I, by Bill Withers might be one of my favorite songs of all time. And he's barely yeah. playing the drums. He's just, like, whisper quiet. You know, if you go on YouTube, you can watch him play uh, Use Me live. And I think he falls asleep four or five times in the, <laughs> in the thing. But it kills so hard. It's like, how could anybody be that relaxed with that groove? I mean, that's not an easy groove. If anybody's yeah. tr- tried to cover Use Me, you know that, like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, let's just do Squib Cakes instead. That'll be easier. <laughs> That'll be easier. Um, well, just because the feel is so hard to cop, you know. Yeah. Um, but when you watch him play, he's just literally chilling on the instrument. Uh, yeah. When did James Gadsden hit your radar personally? Well, not knowing it, I've heard those songs my whole life. But it was probably, okay. man, because he he's, he keeps he stays so relevant because all these new artists and new producers keep bringing him in to because he's like a he's a human breakbeat. You know, they bring right. like Beck yeah. brought him into the studio. I yep. thought a lot of those beats from like Beck records and stuff were were samples from old records, but I'm pretty sure he was actually live in the studio just making new beats for them. Man, which is so was I just started hearing like who is this guy, and then I met him at Nam, uh, probably like ten years ago. He's a big dude, tall. Oh, really? Okay. Very tall I've never dude. met him. Yeah, he's 
he's kind of you kind of see this dude walking down like man that guy looks a little little off a little crazy <laughs> but, but then you talk to him and he's like the sweetest guy on earth super humble Super. So once again, the playing is representative of the person. Totally, yeah. He's like yeah. a like a has a vibe of like an uncle or something. Just super, super happy and cool and chill. And I think it, it shows in his plan. It's just it's eternal. I mean, it's there's yeah. the the link I sent you is the live version of "Kissing My Love" by Bill Withers. I mean, it that's about as funky as it gets. I mean, you're hearing what Adam Deitch is doing now. You're hearing what everyone right. is doing now. And that was recorded. Gosh, I don't know, seventies, I think. <laughs> It's well, I mean, crazy. even even when you hear, if you let Carter play by himself, he'll usually default into like a Gadsden groove. Yeah, right. Then he takes it to you know heights that I will never understand. But it kind of starts there. It's like that's almost like his home base is that. Yeah, that sixteenth thing. Yeah, right. And then it just kind of goes. So check this out. I was Ash was telling me a story. We were talking about the D'Angelo album, the first one, and then they brought him in to play on the 2014 album on mm. Black Messiah. They brought in Gadsden. And I guess, uh, so there's a whole part where he's like kind of pr- on uh, Sugar Daddy, he's playing on his legs the whole time. So the groove is him playing on his legs, right? Well, I guess from what Ash said, the story was that D'Angelo was, is just kind of notoriously late. So it's getting like midnight, 1 a.m. And Gadsden's, you know, not a kid anymore. But he was like, well, I'm not here to just wait. Like, if, if you got me here, I want to give you what you paid for. So he's like, let me go track some stuff. And he started trying to figure out a groove that he was going to track. And he started playing on his legs. And they just recorded that. And that's like the whole tune is him nice. playing on his legs, slapping his legs. So, yeah, I mean... And I, I guess, you know, from all accounts, from everyone I've ever talked to that has met him, like you said, just a sweet, gentle guy that yeah. cares a lot about the groove. But, I, I mean, I think he's one of those guys that gets a little bit overlooked in some circles because yeah. it's just – he was the guy that was behind the scenes doing all the hard work. Yeah, um, I mean, there's probably like one fill that he's done on any record. I mean, right. that, that even that break in Use Me, he's not, he doesn't change it up very much. He's just no. playing the beat. But it grooves so hard. <laughs> I mean, everything he does grooves so hard. But I think for people out there to really appreciate what we're talking about, you need to see him play. Um, and so you, when you guys listen to this podcast, just so you know, you can always go to moderndrummer.com and check out our show notes. And that's where you'll find all the links to our picks of the week and to things that we discuss on here. We want to make sure that you are able to see this stuff and ingest it because – Talking about great drumming and talking about music isn't enough. You do need to see it. You need to hear it um, and appreciate, like, what I love about watching Gadsden play is that's when you go, like, oh, yeah, he, it's all been done before. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought I made that up, but and no, I, I did can't, not. I can't play that groove anywhere near as funky no, as that guy. No, no, <laughs> no. I, I would say that uh, Use Me would be, like, okay, that's probably from – I don't know, eight to ten years of your life to get to the point that you're not embarrassed. That <laughs> and uh, and the and playing sissy strut in a oh, yeah. in a the right way. Yeah. Like I, I think of like okay, there's sissy strut in Sacramento, California at the Shady Lady tomorrow night. Somebody says let's play sissy strut, not a problem. Let's do it. <laughs> then if somebody says hey, uh, we have this gig in New Orleans, we're just going to play sissy strut. Like <laughs> you know what? 
Why don't we book that for four years from now so I can practice nothing but that one groove? Uh, That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Could you imagine doing that in New Orleans and like 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 New Orleans Jazz Fest or something? Like yeah, yeah, we're gonna just we're gonna do the extended Miles Davis version of (laughs) Sissy's Drive for Here we go. Here we go. Everybody just feels like a record stops. Everyone and they're looking at you like, what is going on? What are you trying to do? (laughs) Oh man. Be, have better luck swinging one by Metallica. <laughs> Anyways, so everyone, check out James Gadsden. Like I said, we got a video in the show notes for you guys, and uh, it's it's a fun journey to go on when you check that stuff out for sure. Very good. So we have to uh, now. Uh, last week I alluded because uh, Dream Symbols sent me a bunch of stuff that I'm going to be reviewing soon. Um, they're sponsoring this week's episode, and they sent me. I probably should have talked more about it last week, but you know. Better late than never. They sent the Eclipse Ride, which is a 21-inch uh, Dark Matter series symbol that's half lathe. The bell to halfway out the bow is is raw, and then the halfway from the bow to the edge is completely lathe. So uh, they actually have a pretty nice sample on their website. So let's take a listen to what they did, and I will uh, follow that up with just kind of ex- giving you a little bit of my experience with it. We'll do a full-on review with this uh when, you know, when the issue comes out. But here is the Eclipse ride as recorded on DreamSymbols.com. it so what do you think of that it's it's way thicker than it looks yeah um it's 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 not a flimsy uh trash symbol it's got like some some bite to it yeah so i think it's pretty cool what's interesting i mean their recording is probably pretty raw and and maybe just one mic i had it in my studio so i kind of know what my mics do and it, it was a little bit different it was definitely i could hear the ping uh, more okay. than on most dream stuff, but it actually crashed really well. So yeah, that's what I was surprised when when in the sample when when he's playing on the actual symbol, I'm like, well, that thing's not going to crash. And then he hits one side and it goes whoosh. Yeah. Like, oh wow, it I wasn't neat. expecting that. Yeah, it hit. The, and what I think probably what the half lathing does, which I'll know more when I spend more time with it and ask them some questions. But it hits and gets down pretty fast, which was cool. So I could crash it, and then it was almost like the the decay envelope was like really extreme so then i could go back to riding on so kind of neat so that's the eclipse ride by dream symbols you can check it out more on their website and we'll definitely get back to this as well as some other of their energy series stuff later so thanks dream and where are we at now we are it is time for the candy it's time for to talk about gear so this so I'm excited be... to talk about this because I don't have this, and you you do have this, right? <laughs> I do. I bought it. This is the Universal Audio Apollo 8P interface. Um, I bought it because I had to do an entire studio upgrade. My my laptop finally was was croaking out, so I had to get a. I got a you know the best iMac I could get. I didn't want to go full on like Mac Pro and spend you know, bazillions of dollars on it. So I got the best iMac I could get, and then just doing a ton of research, uh, asking a lot of engineer friends. They all said the Universal Audio stuff is the best bet for my applications because their mic pre's are really clean, and they have this whole uh, module. You know, they uh, whatever you call modeling. it, modeling. Modeling. Uh, yep. So then they have all these classic mic pre's and modeling, so I wouldn't have to then invest an additional 
you know, I'm using 16 channels. So if I had to do 16 channels of right. Eve Mike Prees, yeah, good. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be able to buy groceries for the next 25 years. So yeah, so that so this was just the best choice for me. It's it's powerful. It's it's uh, versatile. It's reliable. Um, and they're really kind of on the cutting edge of always putting out new stuff. So I, I kind of went with them. Um, and at the same time, I decided to review it for the magazine as well. Uh, so what it is, the 8P is an eight-channel interface. you got eight mic pre's that you can hook your XLRs up to. Um, it's got how many outs? Six outs, I think. Two headphone inputs. Um, it's got a ADAT in and out, so you can hook up an external mic pre if you have an ADAT one. Um, I actually do have an older one that I can hook in, but I don't need it. Um, it's it's a Thunderbolt, or is it is it Thunderbolt? Yeah, Thunderbolt connection. Um, hopefully that doesn't go obsolete too quickly. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't plan on getting rid of my computer. They so. do they do still offer it. You can get it on Sweetwater in a in a um, FireWire connection as well. Yeah, oh man, they must have been yeah. so pissed when that was discontinued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so this one is Thunderbolt, so it'll work with all of your new Mac stuff. Yeah, so I think for drums it's great because they include, uh, what they do is they designed it so it actually handles a lot of the processing within the unit itself. So it's not making your computer choke out. It's actually handling a lot of it. And and actually, when I bought it, they were doing a special where they gave you a free satellite processor that that gives you even more uh, speed and CPU. Nice. So I'm able to get, you know, so it it's pretty it goes pretty darn fast. I actually have two of these wired together, so I got 16 channels. Once you start dropping in a bunch of UAD plugins it, within your DAW, it can eat up a lot of CPU. Uh, so that's I think that's why they have this external concept where it processes it itself. Wait a minute, you have two Apollo 8Ps? Yeah, I got two of them. Wow, I need 16 you went in. channels, yeah. I just figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I didn't yeah. have any... Like the stuff I was using before was was pretty cheap, so it wasn't like okay. I've got I got I hadn't bought any good mic pre's or anything. So no. not like you know for you I think you you needed the mic pre's because what you're using probably doesn't have that great of mic pre's in it, right? That and because I I can't treat this like a studio because of the live broadcast. I actually have to mix before it hits the computer. Yeah, so you want it to sound great so, going in right away. Yeah, I yeah. don't have that option. So buying actual outboard pre's for me is like. It's like heaven. I'm going to get that preamp before it ever hits my computer. But yeah. if I was only doing recording, this this is what Ash has. I mean, this is exactly what I would use. Yeah, um, and the uh, the console it's a it's a virtual console, but it actually opens up. It looks like a board, a mixing board. And any time you apply an effect or one of the mic pre emulators to that console, it actually prints it onto the audio going into your into Pro Tools or whatever. So it actually treats it like outboard gear. That's which awesome. is great for me for drum tracking because I can switch from Neve pre's or API pre's or Manly pre's or whatever and get the different – I can dial in the sound I want before I record and then I don't have to worry about mixing stuff later. So when I'm doing tracks for people, uh, I actually get all of my sounds dialed in before it goes to the to the computer. That way I don't have to spend a ton of time mixing what I just did and then – you know, spend an extra hour mixing my drums after I record them just to deliver them to somebody else to mix. <laughs> you know, it's gotcha. Yeah, so I, yeah, I get it dialed absolutely. in with a little bit of EQ and with the uh, the various mic pre. I mean, so it has Neve pre's, API pre's. I like those two the best. The Neve and the yeah. API are kind of the perfect for drumming. They also have SSLs. Uh, Universal Audio has their own mic pre's, which are great for a kind of real twin infinities. Yeah, yeah, the uh, six six ten A and six ten B. 
that's kind of like a more vintage vibe. Um, so anyway, it's just been a lot of fun. It's been super reliable. Again, I like the fact that I can kind of get my sound. You know, I'm not trying to mix my sound. I'm just trying to get a good, pure sound going into right. the computer and then not having to spend any time EQing and compressing and doing all that stuff before I render it out to the client right. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I did do a demo. I guess we could drop it in where I kind of play the exact same thing and I go through the various mic pre uh, emulators that they created. Yeah. I would love to hear that, man. Um, it is subtle, so I think if your ears aren't attuned to, to harmonics and things, you might miss it. But it's noticeable, and the cool part is actually the clean version without anything on it sounds great, too. So you don't have to spend the extra money to buy the, the Neve emulators and stuff. But Right. So I'm going to edit it. We'll probably just hear the the clean version with nothing, the Neve 1073, and then the APIs. Let's check it out. so funny i i i don't well we can come back now okay (laughs) (laughs) it's so hard like it's so hard to wait a minute oh i'm sorry i'm just looking on your website right now and i'm like is that my broadcaster that they used in an ad but it's not anyways um (laughs) uh yeah it's it's really hard obviously after spending what i just did on pre's on the neve 1073s it's hard to not be tricked with your ear. Yeah. You know, as soon yeah. as that picture of the Neve 1073s came up, I literally went, yeah, that's where it's at. <laughs> but I'm like, then I'm thinking like, I mean, I do have my in-ears in and everything, but I'm like, am I, am I being tricked? You know, um, it is very subtle. If you guys are listening with your Apple earbuds right now, you probably didn't hear hardly any difference at all. Yeah, no. um, from what I've done in my research, what I've really found is that the pre's it's when they add up it's when you start putting them on all the channels the yep. guitars the bass it thickens the entire thing and glues it all together and it would just sound a little thinner without the high end pre's i will say this that's the uh the uad emulation is probably the the best i've heard like i could really tell the difference between the apis and the neve 1073 that yeah, was like the totally. two that were the biggest difference yeah. and i would if i was going for that warm buttery sound neve 1073 and if i was going for the rock thing i'd use the apis yeah so. in general i use the neves because uh my room is small and i kind of want to round off some of the harshness yeah. but if i was in a bigger room i'd probably go more with the apis just because the extra impact i think is pretty cool but then again without anything it sounds cool too so i can 
Yeah, you know, having that flexibility, I, not knowing what a, an artist or a, or a client wants, I could just give them clean and say, "You do whatever the heck you need to do." And that's what I did with that that um, hit record collaboration. Yeah, I just gave them the raw. I didn't do any EQ. It was like there's some wonky tom sounds. Like you do whatever you need to do with this. This is straight, you know, into the computer. But when I'm recording for like a country artist, I use the Neves usually because it's kind of more uh-huh. they want a warmer sound. Right. So it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, well, I look forward to um, trying out the real thing uh, later today and then um, letting do, you know how it goes. Do an AB, the real thing. I will. And then, and then the, the, the slate, slate needs. Yeah. I will do that for so you sure. You should probably uh, do the, the slate first, right, before you install the Neves? Yeah, well, the yeah, so I, I will. Um, that's a good point because <laughs> then I'd have to bypass it. Luckily, it is two channels. Rerouting is not a, a real big problem. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm excited to check it out. And uh, But I, I got to say this. Plugins or no plugins, that RBH is no joke. <laughs> it sounds nice fantastic, kid. man. <laughs> that bass drum is heavenly. Do you I have that know. ported? It is ported. It's got a really a clear so power round and three full. and a fiber skin on the front. The port is probably if it's as as small as I can make it and still fit the microphone inside. So probably the the five inch or the three inch. It's, um, I think it might be right in between. It might be a four okay. inch port. Um, and there's there's maybe a towel and a couple Remo things inside. Uh, but yeah, that drum is that's kind of like my if I need vibey drums, that's what I I go Man. with. Yeah. That's the kit. I, I'm I'm in love with that drum set. All righty. Well, uh, guys, check out the Apollo 8P. If you're, this is not a cheap device. Honestly, uh, wherever you find it, you're probably going to find it for about three grand uh, for the for one unit. It does come with about another three thousand dollars worth of plugins. Yeah, and those plugins totally. will save you from ever having to look on any plugin website again. Um, the UAD plugins are incredible, and they're up there with everything else. So um, I would definitely check that out. Um, and yeah, they do actually have a extended offer until August thirty first, um, which will get you thirty five hundred dollars of free plugins Dang from it. Studer, AKG, and Apollo. So check that stuff out if you're serious about recording your gear. All right, let's get into some questions. All right, our first one is from Timothy. He says, "What are the do's and don'ts for a novice drummer playing gigs or touring?" For example, sound checks, sharing equipment, traveling with equipment, networking, green room etiquette, it's etc. I love this Man, question. I think it's one of the best ones. That was yesterday's live lesson. Was it really? Our, our live lesson was the do's and don'ts of gigging. Nice. Um, and it was just for people that maybe haven't gigged before. And I pretty much took the students through breaking down your gear at your house all the way to getting off the stage at the gig. Mm-hmm. So... First thing was the gear checklist. Yeah. It's really important. You will, I, at least for me, I always forget my throne. Always. Really? Like, uh, for some weird reason, I just assume that every place has a throne. I don't know what happened, but that's the <laughs> only, and, and I'm, I don't always do it, but if I do forget something, it's not like I ever get to the gig and I'm like, where's my 12-inch rack, Tom? Like, <laughs> yeah. I brought my drums. I got drums. <laughs> I got my cymbals. Uh, I do, I will say this, I do bring a second bass drum pedal just because yeah. if my hi-hat stand breaks, I'll figure it out. If my bass drum pedal breaks, we got a problem. But the main thing that I wanted to kind of get across to the students was how to deal with the sound guy when you walk in the room, yeah. how to smooth out that situation, how to do a sound check, you know, like give enough space in between every bass drum note when they say, all right, give me your kick. Don't rip, you know, kick exercises, go kick. Let him mix. Kick. Let him mix. Yeah. Kick, you know, Always I literally, Iron in Man. my head, say, yeah, there you go, Iron Man. Yeah. 
I'm always thinking, let him mix in between every note <laughs> because that's his job. It's like it's not just levels. He's going, okay, great. You're that one dude that doesn't put a pillow in your bass drum, and you think oh, it's yeah. going to sound great, and you didn't port your head, so he has to mix it for you. So do that. Then when he says play the whole kit, once again, it's not a drum clinic. I do play a very simple groove that involves a you know a tom fill at the end of every two bars, and I'm switching from cymbal to cymbal. And then the other thing is trying to be as cool as possible for the monitor mix. You know, um, yep. I try not to be too picky. So what do you have for that stuff? Well, I think along the same lines, usually you're at least in like festivals and bigger shows, you're dealing with a front of house engineer and a monitor engineer or a stage manager type uh, right. person. So you have to be careful that the front of house guy isn't asking you to do something that will potentially blow out the ears of the monitor guy or the stage. And right. so if, if someone is leaning down next to your snare drum to clip a bottom side mic on, regardless of what the front of house guy says, do not hit a rim shot. <laughs> do yes. not do it. That's so funny. That was a big thing that I said yesterday was when you go to hit to when you have to check your snare, I really do alert. If I'm in a club, I kind of let everyone in the room know, hey, everybody, earplugs, you know, earmuffs. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. hit my snare. Um, the other thing that's important, and maybe you can speak to this too, but you need to sound check your drums at the volume you're gonna play them in the show. There's nothing worse for a sound guy than you tapping your drums in sound check, and then you come out to play the show and you're a heavy hitter. Yeah, um, he has yeah. to wipe yeah. the whole mix, and that means the snare drum sound check is going to be brutally painful for everybody. So again, you have right. to let them know that all right, snare drum, watch out, here comes some gunshots because yep. it's terrible to hear yeah. like a drummer just wet especially for one of those metal stages my god so that would be number one don't you know don't destroy anyone's ears right. i think as far as getting on and off preset as much of your gear as you possibly can if you're having to like quick changeovers and yep. absolutely at the end of your set do not break your kit apart do not on break stage. down on stage <laughs> get your stuff Take it off, off the stage that yeah. would be I mean, sometimes I'll pull my cymbals off if I know it's going to be kind of a hectic, you know, people are going to be throwing stuff around. But that takes 35, 40 seconds. If you're, yeah. like, breaking your pedal down and, and undoing no, no, your no, hi-hat stand. I, I, it's, it, honestly, getting on stage and off stage, it's NASCAR. Yeah, exactly. I am, I am going, man. <laughs> and I'm also helping the next band get their gear on stage. Usually just, if it's a local gig where I know people are going to be like, oh, man, we played and, and Mike Johnston opened up for us yesterday. He was really nice. He helped us load our gear on stage. It's like, yeah. if it's a local town thing, you want to be known as the helpful guy. I get there early. I set up early. I take down my own stuff. I help the other you know band load on if I can, um, if there's time. So you don't have to go crazy out of your way, but there's nothing wrong with being just a little extra courteous. And then I always, no matter what the situation is, I always go and thank the sound guy. You know, totally, it's, not, it's yeah. a thankless job, yeah. and it's just it. I know that I'm going to be back at that club again someday. So as long as he remembers that I'm the guy that came up to him and shook his hand and said, hey, thanks so much for everything tonight. It sounded fantastic. It's going to give me a better chance to have a good night the next time I'm back. Yeah. I mean, the last thing, one of his specific points, green room etiquette, I think be careful about just grabbing drinks and food if you don't know if it's for you. Uh, it could be the right. cruise <laughs> yeah. food. It could be the headlining band's food. And there's nothing more awkward than you eating all of the food that the headliner had put on their rider. And you're in there with like Absolutely. pizza in your mouth when they walk in, like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so always ask before you take. Agreed. Uh, especially if you're an opener, like for a national act, don't even assume you can go in the green room. Like, get permission right. that you're even allowed. Where are you supposed to go? Yeah, you know, just you just have to be cool. 
that's essentially what it all comes down to. It's just be cool yeah. and consider be, be cool. Yeah. yeah. Be, be chill and be thankful to everyone that's helping you out because every ounce of a live gig is a thankless job yeah. from the engineer to the bouncer to everything. So next. All right. Next one's from Steve. Have either of you taken on a student and discovered that he or she is more advanced than you in some or all aspects of drumming? And if so, how do you address that situation? Oh, absolutely. Um, hell, when I opened the drum lab, my first business, I, I feel like all of Northern California came there to test me. Like, oh, oh yeah. you opened a shop? I'm going to show you that you couldn't teach me anything. I was like, geez, what's the deal, guys? Why is it turning into Shed Session Volume 4 every time I teach a lesson? Um, so, and then, and sometimes, uh, most of the time, it was like, okay, cool, you've got that chop down. Now let's talk about real drumming. But there were times where, it was like, you know, Zach Hill's a good example. Uh, what do you mm. want me to teach you? I can't teach you anything. So, um, so anyways, so one, you need to know the people in your town that are far superior to you at something. So you should, if in my situation, I have my jazz guy. I know that Tim Metz cares about jazz more than I ever will, and he's really good at it. So I refer people to him. I've got my marching guy. If somebody comes to me and they already have fantastic hands, but they want better hands, it's like, okay, well, this guy was in the Blue Devils. He cares about it on a level that I don't. Um, so you have to have your pool of resources. And honestly, passing a student off, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't feel any shame in that at all. Mm-hmm. I just know that eventually that teacher will say, hey, you know what? I've got this student, and they're honestly just down on drums. You're really good at inspiring people. I'm going to send them to you for six months. Cool. You know, yeah. it'll all come back around. So uh, that happens all the time. And I just tell the students straight up, like, honestly, man, there's nothing I can teach you. But I have a friend that really, really would take you to the next level. That's it. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't had that happen too often, but I've had I've had students that clearly have way more raw talent than I ever had, and so then it's more a matter of using just my experience, like to help them. Because well, sometimes then you're a you manager. get yeah, you get overshadowed you know. by man, this kid's incredibly talented. I don't want to mess them up, but then you see that maybe their work ethic isn't good, or maybe they're you find out you know how are they practicing. There's always a hole somewhere in their drumming that maybe you know more about. Uh, yeah, of course. It's, I think it's more of a coaching job anyway. I mean, you're kind of just totally. It shouldn't be about you and your abilities. You're trying to get the most no. out of the student. That honestly, one of the things that I'm thinking about at the time is if I had your talent, what would I do with it? So oh, I, yeah. I just become more of a, a career coach at that moment. So cool. Next. All right. This is our third and final one for this week. This is from Neil. Um, he says, "I recently bought an SKB hard case for my cymbals and." Uh, he'll be flying around Canada using it. So this is his first hard case. Is there any specific order that the symbols should be packed inside? Should the ride go first and then smaller symbols inside that? Or the smaller symbols first and the ride stacked on top? Or does it not really matter? So I'm so the wrong guy to ask. Oh, yeah. I, I fly with a soft case bag and I don't even se- I don't even use the symbol separators. I stick them all together so that they have as much padding on each side of them as possible. And I, I let it go. Um, I did have a hard case for a while. Mine made a hard case, and you know it came with all the separators. Uh, I guess maybe it's because I don't play shiny symbols. My symbols are ugly, so I really don't mind if they kind of rub against each other. Um, I guess the biggest worry with a hard case is the keyholing thing. Um, yeah, making you are sure putting that, them on a metal post. Yeah, they usually come. I know the SKB comes with like a, a rubber Sleeve. tube. Yeah, but that that yeah. does fly out. Like if, especially if you're quickly trying to get your symbols in and out, that'll that'll grab a hold and just go flying across the room, and you'll lose it. But yeah, that's the only thing that really matters to me. Um, what about you? 
You know, I've I have that SKB. I have a twenty four inch SKB hard case that I use when I travel, and I've I've kind of I think I've tried both ways, and it doesn't really matter because it really holds them inside pretty secure. I think my it all comes down to what's the bell shape, um, right? Like if I'm yeah. if I'm flying with my my Pisces Giant Beats, they all have the same bell, so it doesn't matter. I just put the hi hats in, but the crashes on top, you know, bell side down, and then the right. ride symbol on last, or vice versa. You could put the ride symbol down. Yeah. And, so you just have to kind of see, make sure that the smaller bell goes inside the bigger bell, and make sure that wing nut is really tight because then they're not going to flop around. And yeah. I've had no problems with that case. It's been a it's been a road dog for years for me. There you go. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I think common sense is all you're going to need for this one. Yeah, so dig it. Perfect. All right, Good that's stuff. our questions. Uh, we have pick of the week, and I don't have one yet. So you go first. I will. Yeah, I do have well, first one. I just have to look it up the name. There you go. <laughs> Uh, first of all, guys, if you want to uh, send in any of your questions, if you're new to our podcast, send them into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And please go to iTunes or wherever else you get our podcast from and give us a, a rating. That stuff helps other people find this podcast, especially if you give us a review and how this podcast helps you with your day. Hi, Juno. Is he here? That? Is, he, is the UPS man there? No, no, no. I Trust me. I wouldn't be here anymore either. Oh, there she is. Okay. She's full man. Here's that. Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. Oh boy! Can you hear that? <laughs> hey, doggy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You got me. You licked my whole face off. All right, honey. I love you. Can you sit down? Thanks, oh, baby. All righty. Anyways, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to cut that out. Uh, okay. I love you. I, you need to get down now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it go. Let it keep going. <laughs> This is for all you of you know. who hate dogs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, okay. My pick of the week is going to blow you away, Mr. Dawson. All right, bring it. Are you sure you're ready for this? I think so. I have left Mixcraft and moved officially to Pro Tools 12. Oh, my gosh. Full time. Why this on earth podcast, would you do that? <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm stepping up my game. So... Uh, so let's actually talk about why have I left uh, or why have I moved to Pro Tools 12? Uh, thank you, Juno. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's not because the audio engine of Mixcraft wasn't good enough or anything like that. Uh, Mixcraft ran all of my VST plugins, and I love the sound. I love the interface. It's so easy. But we're gonna do some Man on the Moon overdubs and actually retrack a song. Mm-hmm. And I just you know we were talking about it and I said you know what. I, I have a good drum room. And so far, every time that we've recorded, these engineers keep trying to give me this massive drum sound. Mm. Like, I cannot convince them to just make it sound natural. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just kind of said, you know what? I think I'll just track it here. Um, and then now you know why I bought two Neve preamps. Yeah. And, and so what happened was my guitar player is actually a great mix engineer and he's done his own albums before. And I think, and they sound fantastic. And it was just a, a thing where he was like, do you have Pro Tools? And I was like, no. And uh, he was like, well, it'd be a lot easier for me to do this because I'm so familiar with that interface. So it was just one of those things where it, it makes it easy to work with other people. Right, so right. I've moved over to Pro Tools 12. I bit the bullet. I actually took Mixcraft off my computer so I wouldn't be tempted to use it anymore. And so far, I'm loving it. So I'll, once I'm a couple weeks into it, I'll give you a full review of it. It is quite the learning curve as far as the interface. But just like any program, once you learn it, it it's uh, you just get used to it. So mm. I'm learning all the shortcuts. But right now, I'm I'm really digging it, and 
just like your preamp uh, emulation, I think I hear a difference, <laughs> but I can't tell if it's just that I'm like, oh, Pro Tools. No, so uh, yeah, good. I think you probably do. I mean, when I went from my previous setup and using Ableton Live to Logic, mm-hmm. it was like I could see clearly for the first time in my life. It was so, I, so okay, drastic. Okay, that's a perfect way to describe it it feels like when i put on my put in my contacts in the morning it's like oh i could see before but now i can see in a higher detail yeah um i actually once i did that and i had my in-ears in and i was listening i was like okay this this is superior so so yeah so i'm using pro tools 12 so that is my pick of the week and uh if you guys look at the price and you go screw that well i'm just paying the annual fee um it's i think it's 2.99 a year when you break it down per month, it's really not that bad, especially to know that you, you'll always get the latest updates. You'll get their own native plugins, which are fantastic, and it's compatible with everything. So, and I and just for those of you that don't even know that this is possible, I am using it on a PC. So, oh yeah, that's right, it is PC <laughs> compatible. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, look at the kid with all the cool gear with your UADs and your Macs. All right, what's your oh, pick of the week, man. buddy? I only got rid of my Dell because I got tired of the antivirus stuff. I yeah. like, I will never use a PC again because that stuff is like, every time I turn it on, I got to like go through a whole security checklist of my computer. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that I, I uninstall all of that the second I get it. Yeah. And, and then I just, uh, luckily, we're kind of getting away from all of the illegal download stuff that would get you in trouble in the, in the first place. Like, I pay for Adobe. I don't try to steal it anymore. I pay for Pro Tools. So yeah, it's like, right. I, I'm not worried about anything. So, All right, what's your pick of the week? All right, so my pick of the week, this is something that I'm just starting to check out. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this company. Etomotic? Etomotic? It's a it's an earplug, earbud company. It's E-T-Y-M-O-T-I-C. I think it's... Okay. What does it mean when there's a line over a vowel? Does that mean it's long or short? What does that mean? Is it mo or ma? Etymotic? I or have etymotic? no idea why you're even asking me that. <laughs> I think it's mo. I s- etymotic. I still can't spell definitely. Like every time I spell it, I get a red line. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Go on. So they sent me a pair of their in-ear, you know, non-custom old in-ears to check out. I'm using those in the studio, but actually what I wanted to talk about this week is they also sent these thing called Music Pro Earplugs. These are earplugs with hearing aids installed into them. Oh, what? So you're able to turn on a battery that then allows the normal sound to come through, but it's attenuated down, you know, whatever it wow. is. So these so are these. I'm looking at them right now. These aren't cheap. These are you're 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 committing. Oh, yeah, no. These days. are these are high end earplugs. These are professional high end earplugs. Okay. Um, so if you don't have the battery in, or I think if you just turn the door, leave the door open, it doesn't actually turn them on. They're really like good earplugs. So if you're at a loud show, they're gonna, you know, this still sounds pretty clean and but you know really good protection. They seal really nicely. But then when you turn the battery on, it's like you're wearing headphones. But the wow. but the world is what you're listening to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. So I'm I haven't used them on a gig yet. I've just used them kind of listening, you know, walking around the house, and it's it's a little confusing because everything is so clear and precise. But I can see if I'm playing certain gigs where I I sort of want to wear earplugs, but sort of don't. Like maybe kind of more more lighter acoustic gigs, or when Do you're you- 75. <laughs> 
And you just need like hearing aids. These I are mean, awesome. Yeah, man. they're pretty neat. So I'm going to use them on a couple like more. I wouldn't use this on a loud rock gig. I think it would end up being worse than just wearing regular earplugs. Right. But there definitely are some gigs where I'm, at the end of a gig, I'm like, man, I should have worn my earplugs. But if I would have worn my earplugs, I would have felt removed from the music removed. too much. Yeah, detached. Yeah. So I think it kind of These look feel pretty that. discreet too. Like they don't look overly big in the in the ear. Uh, no. They're showing like a couple pictures on. So are they comfortable? They are. I mean, they feel like normal, you know, like nice earplugs. They're called Music Pro. Uh, I think the model is MP9-15. Um, I'll know okay. more about them once I spend a little bit more time with them, but I just wanted to make them my pick of the week this week because I think it's just a neat idea. Um, yeah, I was kind of struggling it. with wanting to protect their ears but not wanting to, like, remove the nuance of the music. That's and it. if you uh, if you're a heavy hitter, just move up to the Gunsport Pro. <laughs> yeah, and you'll be, you'll be set to go. <laughs> That's fantastic. Very cool. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for checking out the podcast. Like I said, if you can, set, uh, shoot us a review. And if there's somewhere that you like to listen to podcasts and we're not there, let us know. Just write uh, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com so that we can do our best to keep reaching out to you guys. My friend, I'm going to get to teaching a camp. Have fun and great luck. Or your clinic just happened to everyone that's listening. Dude, you killed it, bro. <laughs> so proud of you, man. It's so proud of you. Fun. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. We'll, we'll maybe do some more later. But yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, buddy. Well, I will talk to you soon. All right. Later. Later.